Hebrews 19, uh, to 10, 19 to 25 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. I love simplicity. I love to have things uh, simple in life. Uh, We are in complicated times. Would you guys agree with that? I think you need a degree in rocket science uh, to be able to hook up your supposed smartphone to your Bluetooth in your car. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever try to hook that thing up? And you get it all set and ready to go, and then you're driving down the street, and you get a phone call, but it doesn't connect to your Bluetooth. Things just don't work because they're complicated. We want to keep things simple. Uh, We've witnessed kind of the same trend in the vision of the local church. We can make things so complicated. Uh, I've been in church leadership myself for close to a decade, have spent the better part of my life as a participant in the local church. Uh, Let's just say this. I've seen and have participated in many strategies, programs, schemes, and yet God's word is so simple as it applies to the local church. We can dream up all these different things to attract people, to to bring them in, but the bottom line is that the truth of God's word will bring people to hear. The preaching of Christ and him crucified will bring people to saving faith. We begin a new series, as I said, reach up, reach in, and reach out. Uh, Reach up, we're going to unpack today so you're not getting the answers uh, to that test just yet. Uh, Reach in, next week we'll be focusing on how we disciple each other, the ways that we're going to disciple each other here at North Bullet Christian Church. And then reach out, the last two weeks of this series is going to be focusing on on service, uh, our ministry to each other, our service to our community, and meeting the needs of our community, and then also proclamation of the gospel, the bringing of the gospel through both missions and also the planning of churches, the spreading of God's church, both locally and globally, all around the world. So reach up, reach in, reach out. The simplicity of it all is that the vision of the local church, again, begins in the person and work of Jesus and we're going to start here this morning because as we talk about reaching up, it's, it's essential that we first understand that Jesus, that we cannot reach up to Jesus because he has to reach down to us first. He has reached down to us. How do we know that? God's word says so. Looking back at Hebrews, the beginning part of our passage. 19 to 23, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest, Jesus is our priest, he is our our intercessor, he's our go-between, says over the house of God, let us, what, draw near, draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, here it is, the cleansing to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus has reached down to us, and we have to begin with Jesus before we can even unpack what it means to reach up to him. What is this, this author of Hebrews talking about? We hear in this, in this passage blood, we hear body, we hear curtains, we hear guilt, all of these things. What do all these things mean? Jesus has reached down to us through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. Again, we cannot reach up to him apart from his work. What happened at the Tower of Babel when they tried to build that tower to reach to God? That's an uh-uh. That's not the way this thing works. He has to reach down to us. And if we don't keep the work of Christ in mind as a church, we will become these things. We will become man-centered. We will think it all centers on us. It all centers on me getting everything right. It all centers on some slick program to convince people why they need Jesus and hiding certain aspects of the gospel because they may be offensive to some people. It'll become self-righteous. It'll become only about the outward acts, the appearance of holiness without a heart that is transformed. And with that, it'll become arrogant. And so that's why we have to focus on Christ first. Jesus first. And so how does blood, body, curtains, and guilt have anything to do with us reaching up to God? You see, it begins at the beginning of time. In the beginning, God creates everything. He creates it perfectly. And his word says that he proclaimed that it was, what, very good. It actually says throughout the creation account that it was good, 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 good. And then he creates humanity. He creates man and woman. And then it changes to what? Very good. God's creation was was perfect. And God's presence, as we read the scriptures, was with his people. God was among Adam and Eve. He was with them. But then something happens. We call it the fall. Adam and Eve sin. So God sends them out of the garden. Uh, The relationship is destroyed. And sin sin is entered into all of humanity. The, The sin of Adam is what we would call original sin has been passed on to all of us. We are all born into a naturally sinful state. That's our default setting. But he does not cast them out before he does this. He covers their nakedness. They knew they were naked, and so he he covered them with, with animal skins. We have a picture here of the covering of Christ. A type and shadow of Jesus. And he also pronounces a judgment against the serpent that had deceived them. 
He says that one will be born from Eve that will crush the head of the serpent, which is Satan. So we have a broken relationship. We see God working uh, in calling a people to himself, beginning with Abraham. They emerge as the people of God, Israel. They're instructed first as they're wandering through the desert to build this tabernacle, a place where God's dwelling will be. Uh, But that dwelling is, is separated. The tabernacle later becomes the temple. And if you'll remember, there's a curtain, there's a veil that separates what we would call the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle and the temple. Within that time, we have the institution of animal sacrifice to attempt to atone for the sins. Blood and body brought forth. You guys see where I'm going? We got curtains, we got body, we got blood. But all of this pointing towards a greater sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would reconcile those who would place their faith and trust in his finished work. You see, Jesus is the last sacrifice. His body was given to you. Uh, Jesus was literally placed on a cross. He was nailed to a cross. He physically died. He bodily died. His blood literally poured out on the cross, covering the sin of those who will place their faith and trust in his work. We are covered by his blood. You hear in this passage that our guilt has been removed. Our guilt has been blotted out because it is covered by the blood of Christ, by his sacrifice. It's removed. And at the moment of his death, when we read scripture, it says that the curtain, the separation of God, the veil was torn, top to bottom, torn in two. God's presence now able to be among his people. Jesus rose from the grave, sealing his redemptive work. He did everything he said he would do. The author of Hebrews says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful. What evidence is there of God's faithfulness? The resurrection. That Jesus didn't just stay dead, but that Jesus rose from the dead. He was faithful in doing everything he said he was going to do. Jesus' physical body did not stay dead. Rather, he rose from the dead. And lastly, here is the meeting of God and his people, his Holy Spirit, poured out at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Those who have faith in Christ have this gift, the Spirit of God within them. Why does body, blood, curtains, guilt, what does that have to do? It's the reconciliation of God's people to himself. And the beauty of it is, is that he didn't leave it to chance He handled it all. He reconciled us to himself. He gave us his righteousness. And he seals us with his spirit that we may be able to walk in his light. That we may be able to be transformed. We see God was separated and now is united in perfect relationship with us because of who? 
Because I'm so great? No, because of the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. So God has reached down to us. What does this mean for followers of Christ? What does this mean for followers of Christ? We worship him. We worship God. One, because of his greatness, because of who he is. He's the creator. But also because he has been so good to us, so loving to us when we have rejected him. Scripture says that we were his, his enemies, and yet even when we were his, his enemies, he loved us enough to send his son to die for us. So what do we do? Worship. We worship. Jesus has done all of this. He's, he's given us his body. His blood covers our sin. The veil or the curtain in the temple was torn. And we are united with God in relationship because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this means there's no more guilt. There's no more shame because your sin has been covered. You've been brought into right relationship with God. Hebrews 10.24, if you want to turn in your Bible, or we're already there. Just continuing on. Says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on, Toward love and good deeds. I love this next, this next uh, verse. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what I love about this verse? It's truthful. I mean, the author could have left that part in, part out. Right? Some are in the habit already. Because we, we have a tendency in the modern church to kind of set the New Testament churches up here and we kind of stink, we're down here. And yet you read God's word already in the early church, you see people skipping out to go stay home and watch playoff football. Skipping out because there's something else going on. Skipping out because I got to catch up on some sleep because I've had a busy day at work. We see real People here in God's word. But here's the point. The point of it is this. As we look at mission and vision for our church, we first begin with Jesus Christ and his work. He has reached down to us. But as a response, we are reaching up to him. And that comes about through the gathering of his people. You see the connection there. The author begins with Jesus and what he's done, and then he says, what do we do now? We gather. We get together. We spur each other on in what? In love and good deeds. We gather. It's our first point this morning. We gather together. That's what this is right here. It's a worship gathering. Acts 2, 46 to 47. It says this about the early church. Let me give you some context here. So, the Holy Spirit has filled people. The gospel has been proclaimed by Peter, who was just a coward. Now he's this bold proclaimer of God's truth. People are saved because the Spirit is moving and filling people. And then it says they did this right afterwards. It says every day 
I'm going to pause there for just a second. That's all we're asking for is Sunday. God's word says every day. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. This is beautiful. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because the church was just being the church. They were just being who they were supposed to be. They were gathering together. They were praising God. They were proclaiming Jesus. They were sharing things. They were meeting each other's needs. Do you see where mission and vision for the local church comes exploding out of this passage? Because of what Christ has done, they gathered. They came together. The gathering of the body of Christ is the lifeblood of the church. The gathering of the body of Christ is the lifeblood of the church. This is the most important thing that we do as a church right here. The gathering of God's people. It's an incredible means of grace that God has given us. We get to celebrate God's great love each and every week. Again, the mission and vision of this church begins with the work of Christ and flows from the gathering of his people. I want to say this. The, the worship gathering is the launching pad for all that we do. Everything that we do is launched out of this place. God's people gathering together, singing, hearing the word, praying, fellowshipping, giving, receiving the Lord's Supper, seeing people be baptized. All is a launching pad for our ministry. In the next few weeks, this series means absolutely nothing if we are not consistently gathering as a body of Christ. Committed to that. Week in and week out, coming to church. And when we gather, it's not just a hangout. It's not just a social club. The gathering is centered around this right here. Do you know what this is? This is the Bible. This is God's Word. Everything we do is going to flow from God's Word. Because hear this, this is the means that God said that he would bless. We can come up with slick programs, we can say things a certain way, but the bottom line is, is that God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient to grow us spiritually, to save people, to nourish us, to challenge us, to rebuke us, all of those things right here. God has given us this great gift. The gathering has certain elements which we'll outline. So when we gather, we do these things. And these are all drawn from Scripture. When we gather, we do these things. Our second point, we sing the Bible. When we gather, we sing the Bible. Ephesians 5.19 in your notes says this, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. This is the instruction of Paul to the church, to do these things. Speak to each other in this way. This is what we're going to do here at North Bullet Christian Church. We're going to sing to our great God. Why? Because we just heard why. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. We're going to sing to Him. 
Beautiful songs. I got to stand back here, changing to go into the baptistry, and hear the people of God proclaiming truth about Him. Proclaiming truth about what He has done. Our songs must be focused on who God is and what He has done. Hear this, content matters, and what we sing matters. We learn much from songs. The early church, a lot of what they learned was from music. They would learn from songs. And so we're going to commit as a church, we're committing to investigating lyrics and songs and saying, okay, is this bringing great glory to God? Is this stirring affection in me for what Jesus has done for me? Lyrics matter. Music matters. We learn much from songs. And again, songs stir our affection for Jesus. And they must be biblically rooted. This is not to say all modern worship is bad and all old hymns are good. There's a lot of terrible hymns if you dig into some of those old hymn books. But there's some treasure in there. There's some treasure in modern worship music. But there's some stuff in there that's like, am I singing to my girlfriend or am I singing to Jesus? Our songs must be about singing truth to God. We sing the Bible. Number three, the next thing, the next element of the worship gathering. We pray the Bible. We pray the Bible. 1 Timothy 2.1 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is instructions from Paul to a pastor. Do these things. When we gather, we pray. We're going to model prayer, and these prayers must be rooted in, in Scripture, I'm going to be honest with you. As a church, we need to get better at this. We need to get better at this. Why do I say that? There are beautiful prayers right here in Scripture. And all too often, I struggle with this, I get up here and the last thing that I thought about all week long as I prepared my sermon and thought through how everything's going to work together and Greg and I worked on what songs we were going to sing and when the baptisms are going to be and when the Lord's Supper is, is, oh, what are we going to pray about? And yet God has provided us in Scripture beautiful prayers that we can just read right here in the worship gathering. And as I prepared this week, I felt convicted because I'm like, man, it's such an afterthought. To me. And I want to confess that to you. And I want to confess to you that we're going to get better at that. I realize this. There's, there's a few gentlemen in the church that I'll text with a few times a month to ask them how I can be praying for them. And one person in particular, I noticed that he just texted me back passages of Scripture. I'm like, what? What is this? Would you pray these things for me? Oh, God's word has prayers written, right? That doesn't mean that, our, that we shouldn't get up here and pray our own prayers. Those are fine. 
but beautiful, beautiful prayers right here in his word. We're going to pray the Bible together. Beautiful prayers from the history of the, of the church. There's a, a prayer book called the Valley of Vision uh, from the Puritans. They have this, this prayer book, beautiful prayers in there. I encourage you, pick one of those up and, and read through that. We're going we're gonna to pray the Bible when we gather together. We pray in the worship gathering each and every week. Proclaiming the word of God by praying his inspired word right back to him. What else would God want to hear? He gave it to us. Shout it back to him. Pray it back to him. It's exactly what, what God wants from us. If we, if we read the Lord's Prayer, it's God himself, Jesus Christ, instructing us on how he wants us to pray to him. We should follow that. Pray the Bible. Number four, what else are we going to do when we gather? We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to preach the Bible. Paul's instruction to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. My hope and prayer each and every week as I prepare a sermon is that you will be both challenged, but you will also be encouraged as you walk out those doors and you head into the mission field. My hope and prayer is not that you feel the burden of sin and guilt on your back, but you feel the freedom that Christ has given you through his sacrifice on the cross. And because of that freedom that you are stirred in affection towards him, that you walk out those doors and you're boldly proclaiming the gospel through your actions and through your words. We're going to preach the word. I'll say this, the central focus of the gathering is the preaching of the word. This is an area where I feel like the modern church is a little out of touch. Because there's many churches out there, oh, man, if they got great music, that's where I'm going. That's an important element. But the most important element is the proclamation of the word of God when God's people gather. Amen. That your ears are not just tickled. That you're challenged with the truth of God's word. You're sanctified through that. You're stirred towards Him. That we're eager to respond to what He has done for us. I know some of you out there are like, well, yeah, Keith, of course you say that because then you get up there to talk forever. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Ten years ago, the last thing in the world that I ever wanted to do was get up here and preach the Word. You couldn't have drugged me up here. I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll serve in ministry. Put me behind the scenes. I'll help with budgets. I'll help us figure out how to get to point A to point B. I'll organize stuff. I'll meet with people. I'll manage staffs. That's what I did for my last church. Preach the word? No, thank you. I'm not worthy. Don't put me up on that stage. God has a funny way of working things out, doesn't he? So hear me in this. This is not to feed my ego. Do you know how much pain and turmoil it takes to prepare a sermon and to look at my heart 
A God rips me apart all week long so that I can come in here and pour out to you. It's hard. But we have to preach the word. It's not because of my ego or my pride, but it's because God said so. God said, proclaim the word when people gather. When my people gather, we will preach the word. God has instructed us in his word. He exhorts us through his word. Here's this, there is truth in his word. It is truth. It is life. We don't get to just change what the Bible says. We proclaim it. That's what the preaching of God's word is. It's taking this and telling it to you so that it stirs within you once again what these people felt when this letter was written to them. And then it's bridging that gap to where we're at in 2020 and saying, okay, now what do we do with this? God's word says this. Don't give up meeting together, but encourage one another. And all the more, hear this, as you see the day approaching, the day there has a capital letter. It's not just any day. The day that this is talking about is the day that Jesus Christ will return as he has promised And he will consummate his work. He will perfect everything. The new heavens and new earth will come about. God's creation will be just as he intended it to be. It's going to be better. Better than we could ever imagine. And those who are in Christ will be raised to new life, will be given their glorified bodies to be in the presence of our Savior, of our God forevermore. No more sin. No more pain. No more death. No more suffering. No more snap, crackle, pop in the morning when you get out of bed. Just the milk. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to proclaim the word of God in this church each and every Sunday that we gather. Most of the diet of our preaching is going to be what we would call expositional. means we're going to Pick out a book in the Bible, we're going to go verse by verse through the teaching. But some of you are like, hey, wait a second, Keith, you haven't been doing that. There's nothing wrong with going through some topics here and there. We did that through Christmas, but right before that, we went through a whole book. Some of you were so sick of Nehemiah by the time we got to the end of it. I know the worship team was sick of singing the same song every week at the end. But we believe that God's word is sufficient, that going through book by book and verse by verse challenges us to deal with those texts in the Bible that are challenging to us. Because if it's up to me, if I get to pick out the topics, man, it's going to be easy road, smooth sailing. I'm not making anybody mad. But we go through the Bible verse by verse so that we can be challenged by the truth that it is proclaiming. See, the preaching and teaching of God's word is also always going to see Jesus in the text. When we preach out of the Old Testament, we're going to talk about what it's saying, but we're also going to show how does this point to Christ? Because hear this, the Old Testament 
points to Jesus. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about Jesus. And the epistles, so the New Testament letters to the church, they all look back to Jesus. Hear this. This whole thing right here is about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. And all the things that you go through in life, financial struggle, marriage problems, kid problems, sin problems, death, suffering, it's all covered in here. We'll get there eventually. It's the Word of God. All about Jesus. You hear this? As a church, we're going to be all about Him. It's all about Jesus Christ. Lastly, we're going to see the Bible. Sing the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible. We're going to see the Bible. What does that mean? We see the Bible in two ways. We call these ordinances. Uh, These ordinances were instituted under the, the divine authority of Jesus Christ and his teaching. He gave us these ordinances. And here's the first one. This is how we see the Bible. We see the Bible... Through baptism. Interesting how God lined that all up this morning. We see the Bible through baptism. Romans 6, 3-4 says this, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Question mark. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Doesn't stop there. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, what? We too may live a new life. We see the work of Christ when we see people drawn through the water and brought back out. It's a symbol. We see them dying to themselves, their old ways, and being brought to new life a reflection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ being drawn out. It's beautiful. It's a great gift from God. We, we see the Bible through witnessing the baptisms of followers of Christ. And it was all I could do to hold myself together as I came down and then I had to prepare to get up here and preach. Just, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing people who We're far from God who have now been reconciled to God because of his work and then taking that step in publicly... Man, this is scary. Look how many people are in this room. Publicly professing their faith and then being baptized. Again, it's symbolic of our death to our old self. New life that Christ has given us. It's a picture of his resurrection. We witness a symbolism of, of being washed by the water. You are clean. Your sins are gone. They're covered by the blood of Christ. You have been atoned for. You guys have heard me say this time and time again. When, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. All of that is pictured in the washing of the water. The ordinance also points to this. The satisfaction of God's wrath. God's wrath has been satisfied 
through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we are unified to him when we go public with our faith. The second ordinance, the Lord's Supper. We see the Bible through the Lord's Supper. Luke twenty-two nineteen to 20. This is Jesus. He says, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You see, the worship gathering, after the word is proclaimed, it brings us to a point each and every week where we are confronted with the sacrifice of Christ at the table. There's tables all around the room. Okay, hear me. There's, it's not an accident that the Lord's Supper is where it's at in the worship gathering. God's Word does something to our hearts as we sit here and we listen about Jesus and what He has done and what He spurs us on to do. And it brings us to a point of response, seeing the Bible in these elements here. And they're just elements. There's just a cracker and juice in there. There's nothing special in there. But what's spectacular is that Jesus Christ himself has given us that as a picture to remind us of who he is and what he has done. And each and every week, as we gather, we're brought to this point where we, we come to the table and we receive the Lord's Supper. See, Christ, he gave his body freely to you, and he shed his blood to cover your sin. It's a covering. And hear this this morning. If you're a follower of Christ and you're struggling with shame and guilt, you feel dirty, the blood of Christ has covered that. Stop crucifying yourself. Your Savior was crucified 2,000 years ago. I think one of the greatest struggles that we have in the church is that we feel so guilty over the things that we've done in the past or maybe the things that we just did last night that it holds us back from walking boldly and being bold witnesses of Jesus and what he's done. Hear this. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. The blood of Christ has covered you. And the more you press into him, the more you're going to understand how deep his forgiveness goes. Because I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, I read about a lot of messed up people. I don't find very many of the typical American churchgoer who was born into the church and raised up and has really not done that much bad stuff. We see murderers. We see adulterers. We see terrible people, liars, prostitutes, all of those things in the Word of God. And what does God do? Great things through those people. Bringing himself 
glory. Christian, hear this this morning. Your guilt and your shame has been taken away by the blood of Christ. Lift your eyes to Him. And each and every week as you approach the table, remember that. Remember the sacrifice of Christ. Remember His his body that was given for you. Remember in the juice we are seeing a picture of His blood, which is an atoning blood. It covers our sin. The Bible says that Jesus is our propitiation. Not only is our sin covered, but God looks on you with favor. It doesn't just finish with, uh, it's covered, all right, get out of my sight. It's covered, and I love you as I love Jesus Christ. That's what God is saying to you. If you are in Christ. God loves you just like he loves his son. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And as we conclude this morning, I want to encourage you. You've heard what Christ has done. You heard what what God is stirring in His church. That we would be a church that is centered on Scripture. I want to challenge you this morning to rest. Rest in the work of Christ. As you come to the table, rest in the hope that we have in Him. Rest in knowing that your your guilt has been covered. Remember what Jesus has done for you. You remember that as you come to the table, as you receive uh, the bread that represents His body, as you receive the juice that represents His blood that was spilled for you. And hear me in this, if you are not a follower of Christ, we would urge you to abstain from coming to the table. But here's the good news. You have heard Christ proclaim this morning. You have heard what He has done for you. You have heard that we are all sinful, that we all fall short of God, but that God loves you and that His plan of redemption has always been to bring Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came. He lived the perfect life for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the grave for you. And if you would place your faith and trust in Him, that you would be saved, that you could come to the table this morning and receive with your new family. Along with that, we'll have elders in the front of the room, leaders in our church that will be off to the sides here. If you've made that decision or if you're struggling in any way, we love you. We want to walk alongside you. Stop by and speak to one of those, those leaders, one of those elders, that they can pray with you, that they can give you next steps in what it means to be a follower of Christ. If you're going through things in life, that they can pray along with you in those things. And then along with that, we're going to sing songs. We're going to sing the Bible. We're going to sing about Jesus. And then during the last song, we're going to give to the mission and work of his kingdom through this church. Let's pray. God, we do love.